let's, uh, let's pray together as a church, and then we'll, we'll move ahead. Father, we pray especially for the Sullivan family right now. God, so thankful for their heart to reach young men with the gospel through, uh, through baseball and all that's come out of Justin's life and, and the things that his parents have done. God, I pray that you would comfort that family during this time, God, that they would continue to hold tight to the hope of the gospel, especially with uh, Christmas holiday coming and all that, all that they're dealing with, God, I pray that there would be people around them to, to provide comfort and peace during this time. Father, thank you for the partnerships and the gospel that you give us through something like Ambassadors, that our church can be connected to so many others, God, that our lives are tied together in ways that go beyond anything we could ever imagine because of your plan and the way the body of Christ works. God, thank you for Jordan and Drew and the way that they've ministered through music on Wednesday nights, the way we've been able to encourage them. God, continue to be with those guys as they move ahead in ministry and school. Father, thank you for our kids and youth and the ministry that happens around the church on Wednesday night. Father, help us to continue to do a good job caring for one another through Sunday school classes, through things that come up. God, thank you for, being a, uh, for the gift of being a part of a church like Emmaus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. Before we get into the, uh, to the address, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 3, the very end of that chapter together. Obvious statement here, but we're keeping an eye on the weather uh, for the weekend. We have our adult Christmas program scheduled for, they do a, a performance on Saturday night at 6 o'clock for a lot of their families who are attend other churches to come in, and equally we'll have a lot of Emmaus people that will come Saturday night at 6 o'clock. And then the same exact presentation happens Sunday morning at 10.30. They put so much work into that, and so you hate to look at the, uh, at the weather forecast and what it's looking like right now, but we'll get updates uh, put out through Facebook, uh, email, we'll, and if you can't get out of your house, you know it's canceled. So uh, we'll just, we're just going to do our best together. So, and we, I've already talked to David. They put, they put so much work into this that if something happens and we're just canceled completely on Sunday, we're going to do it the next Sunday. So we're still going to do uh, the Christmas music presentation because it's, it's, it's amazing. They've, they've, it's a really great uh, presentation, and they put a lot of work into it. So if it doesn't happen this Sunday, it'll happen on the, uh, on the 16th. All right. Ephesians chapter 3, let's read 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Stop right there for just a second. Uh, Ephesians is one of those letters where Paul at different times will write in slightly different styles depending on his purpose and what he's aiming for. Ephesians, especially the beginning of Ephesians, is a very grand letter, big themes, big ideas, trying to point us to the sovereignty of God and his greatness. And so Paul's strategy at the beginning of Ephesians is he will write with these run-on sentences that go and go and go and go. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 is one sentence that just never, never stops. Um, and he'll pack, uh, he'll pack phrases together, one after the other. And the whole idea is meant to, meant to point us to the greatness of God. And so if 14 through 19 feels like big themes and, and phrases piled together, it's because it is big themes and phrases piled together on purpose to make us think about the greatness of God. Ephesians is, is often described as 1 through 3 is the doctrine chapters. It kind of lays that foundation. And then 4 through 6 is how you live in light of the doctrine of 1 through 3. And so Paul has kind of been building up to the end of chapter 3, and then he's going to transition off that foundation. So these are big, worshipful, uh, powerful ideas. And then you get to 20 and 21. So now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we get to the end of the address tonight, we're going to end with that particular scripture because I think it represents so well what it means to gather together as a church and think about what God wants to do in and through us. Uh, Hans Dilbeck, who is the new executive director for Oklahoma Baptist, he was a longtime pastor at Quell Springs up in North Oklahoma City, Edmond area. He's the director for Oklahoma Baptist. This year, his first year in that role, this has been the theme verse for Oklahoma Baptist churches, has been theme verses, I guess, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. And here's the question that Hans put before pastors um, right after he got started. He said, when you read these verses, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, we understand that, we, we believe that, we hold on to that, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. We believe in the power of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Hans's question to Oklahoma Baptist churches is, do we believe in the glory and power of God in the church? We believe in the power of Christ. Do we really believe in the power of Christ at work in his church? And if we do, that transforms everything about how we operate, how we live, how we function as a church. That this is not a power that's separate. It's a power at work within the people of God who are gathered in the name of Jesus. And so that's kind of our guiding focus, and that's where we're going to get to at the end. So I want to start tonight with this uh, State of the Church address. You'll get a transcript of it. You've got a little summary page. In addition to that, there's going to be a few slides that will pop up from time to time, but... If you would, just prayerfully, uh, let's proceed tonight and, and listen as I begin uh, tonight with this. As we begin tonight, I want to quote from my 2016 
state of the church paper. I guess I should mention, I came to Emmaus in very in November of 2015. So after being here a year, I did the state of the church for the first time. So this would have been on the one-year anniversary. So we came 2015, and now we're... Uh, starting year four ultimately. But I want to quote from my 2016 State of the Church paper. Here's what I wrote. Year two, and especially year three, can be bumpy for a church and their new pastor. Tom Brainer, who is a Southern Baptist executive and researcher, has done a lot of work in this area. He points out that beyond the first year, the church begins seeing the imperfections in the pastor's ministry and are less afraid to point these out to him. And the pastor finds out that promises from the congregation, especially promises of being open and receptive to change, were unfulfilled. It's impossible to meet everyone's expectations, and during the second and third year, both the members and pastor easily become disillusioned and dissatisfied. Rayner goes on to note, during the second and third year, the church gains a number of new members who arrived under the present pastor's tenure. It's not uncommon for longer-term members, especially those in positions of influence or volunteer roles, to feel threatened or frustrated by the changes as new people move into the core of the church. After a long-term pastorate, such as Emmaus had recently, the next pastor often doesn't last long because just as it's difficult for new members to break into an established situation, it's equally hard for a new pastor to break into well-established networks. End quote from 2016. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but those observations from 2016 have matched our journey together. We had some challenges in years two and three. It definitely wasn't all about challenges. In fact, there was way more good than bad. But enough challenges that I ugly cried at the spring 2018 business meeting, and those in attendance responded by circling around me for prayer, which was one of the most powerful moments I've had as a pastor. It was also one of the phoniest moments I've had as well because as I was bent over in tears at that business meeting, nearly hyperventilating, Dale McCoy, who's not here tonight, was asked to pray for me. Now, I love Dale with all my heart, but when the pastor is crying and the church is gathered around in support and tears, Dale might not be the guy to hold his emotions together in that moment. (laughs) Or... Now that I think about it, Dale was probably the perfect person to pray at the time because Lord knows I appreciate that man and want to be like him in my love for others. So let's get back to the present. How do you go from those tears to the present? As we've completed year three together and look ahead, I want to share my feelings and mindset. Throughout the past year, and even more so at this moment, when I see challenges for Emmaus, my gut reaction is to go through, not around those challenges. And I think this is important because the moment a leader starts to run away from or try to go around challenges is the moment the leader either has to find a way to recharge or the organization needs to look elsewhere. In his assessment of pastoral ministry tenure, Tom Rayner calls years four and five the crossroads part one. Here's how he describes, here's how Rainer describes those years. Years four and five, this period is one of the most critical in the relationship. If the conflict was severe, the pastor will likely leave or be forced out. 
Indeed, these years, four and five, are the most common years when a pastor leaves a church. On the other hand, if a pastor and a church manage the relationship well, they can often look forward to some of the best years ahead. In fact, Rainer goes on to call years six through ten the fruit and harvest period. So as we enter year four together, where does this leave us? It's simple. I don't want to be anywhere else with anyone else. We have plenty of challenges ahead, but I want to go through them with you. We are at a crossroads, but I also believe we're ready to move ahead. And the question is, what will this look like and how will we do it? So I want to take a quick look at the year in review. Then we're going to walk through our up, in, and out strategy to assess where we are as a church. And then at the end, I'm going to mention a couple of items looking forward to the future. So let's look back for a second over this past year. Maybe my favorite new tradition that we solidified this past year at Emmaus was the reading of a person's testimony before baptism. We don't want to simply count numbers. We want to celebrate life change and tell stories. Young kids who quietly but confidently share with their parents about trusting Jesus. An older woman who steps out in faith to share about Jesus' work in her life after years away from church and after diagnosis of a life-changing disease. A young couple who will be baptized on Christmas Eve this year to display their faith in Christ and their love for the church. There are even more stories about ministry impact through our community. Just over the past two months, our church has been able to help a hurting single mom find a safe place to live, provide food and resources for another mom in distress, offer prayer and peace to an unchurched family in our community facing a crisis, finish, or almost finish, at the very last stages of a complete house build for a family in need, host several banquets for our local schools, and update our prayer room and office areas. What about some actual numbers and data from this past year? So this past year, uh, including this last Sunday where we had new members stretching across the front of, of the church, we've added 70 new members. We've averaged 550 in the worship center for the 10.30 a.m. worship gathering, and we had an average total of 617 people on campus each Sunday at 10.30, including preschooling kids. Now, the 550 worship center average compares with 548 for 2017, so an increase of two people on average. Um, now, we'd certainly like to grow by more than two people in worship over the course of a year, and we'll talk in a moment about what that looks like, but 2018 also saw several dozen people leave in the first few months. And yet, amid people leaving, our attendance and financial giving stayed steady, with giving actually averaging more than 2017 for most of the past year. Now, while thinking about numbers and attendance, it's good to think about age distribution of members who are attending. So, in other words, where, what do we look like across the board? Now, the numbers are hard to gauge on this because some people attend the worship gathering, but we don't actually have data on their age or attendance patterns. But using the fairest data we have and comparing with a similar report for 2016, here's the comparison of our age distribution. On the left is the percentage of that age group in 2016 versus that same ratio in, in 2018. One thing that stood out to me is just not a lot of change. Uh, a, a good deal of stability in ages across a three-year period. We talk about being an intergenerational church, and by the data, we absolutely are. 
Uh, there's a slight decrease in people in their 70s. You see a very positive corresponding increase to people in their 20s. That was something we talked about three years ago is we'd like to see that number uh, come up, which it has, and other than that, a pretty good spread. And you look there, for five years old to 12 years old represents 21% of, of our church. So that's a, that's a really good sign. We'll have to watch. I don't know why the 30s age pocket went down by 3%. Could be an anomaly, but it's worth paying attention to because that's an age group we need to do a very good job uh, thinking about reaching out to. So we've got to pay attention to that. Okay, uh, let's move on from there to some more numbers. We recorded record numbers this past year at Vacation Bible School and Fall Fest. Plus, our teenagers took full advantage of the extra space in the newer and bigger Falls Creek cabin. Uh, for Vacation Bible School, we had 475 people on campus, including 332 kids. And from these kids, 27 families were guests who listed no church affiliation at all. Not just a non-Emmaus church affiliation, but no church affiliation at all. Uh, for Fall Fest, we had 432 kids registered, and of these, 276 were not part of Emmaus. One of the reasons I think that works so well is we invested some money in Facebook ad for uh, that Fall Fest. If you don't pay Facebook, they limit how much exposure you get on a, on a post, but you drop some money in there, and all of a sudden, the whole world opens up to, to you. So we'll be using that strategy uh, in, in the future for sure. Uh, let me say two more quick things about money and ministry before we look where we are now and where we're going. First, I've mentioned a couple of times about people leaving our church this past year. I want to be crystal clear, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. There is no bitterness about that. Frustration and confusion, yes. Bitterness, no. We love those people, and they remain partners in the gospel. But at the same time, we won't be driven as a church by how many Christians stay at or leave our local fellowship. We are driven to grow by making disciples, both in the external growth of seeing people come to faith in Christ and be baptized, and through the internal growth of seeing these new disciples mature in faith so they immediately begin to proclaim and display Jesus to others. Let me say it this way. As a church, Emmaus will not be defined by the number of Christians who leave one church to attend another. We will be defined by the number of disciples who are baptized in the name of Jesus and in turn begin to disciple others. Second, as we consider finances, and I remember those moments of doubt about how people leaving would impact our church's financial situation, we had a defining conversation among our staff at that time. We determined not to back away from ministry but instead to operate in reverent fear of God and to continue ahead by faith. Money will either make you fear man or fear God. And I truly believe the decision to not change course as a church, but to continue ahead in faith and obedience is one of the reasons we had such an exciting and rewarding year of ministry and missions. All right, where we are now. So as a church... Where we are now, as a church, we want to help people know a few core statements. First, we want to rally around and ask our church to memorize 2 Corinthians 4-5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. From that verse, our mission statement is that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. 
Proclaim is what we do with our words. Display is what we do with our actions. And everything we say and do, every word, every action, should be about pointing people to Jesus, not to ourselves. In other words, we want to make a big deal about Jesus and a lesser deal about Emmaus. John 3.30, we become less, he becomes greater. As we explain the hope and victory of Jesus to others, we use the three circles model uh, for sharing our faith. We want everyone at Emmaus to feel comfortable drawing this three circles model out on a piece of paper and explaining it to others. If you know Evangelism Explosion, if you know the FAITH acronym, by all means, use those. If you have the Evangicube, by all means, use that. But this is just such a simple model, and we want to teach it to our kids and everyone who comes through the doors in Emmaus that they would know this, that God designed the world perfectly. He created people in his image to live in this world for his glory, but people rebelled against God. They moved away from him, and that's called sin. Sin leads to brokenness. When we try to escape brokenness on our own, it takes us on a crazy, squiggly path further from God. But when we repent and we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it moves us back into relationship with God, and then we spend our lives recovering and pursuing what God has for us. There are many ways to share the gospel. We teach the three circles because it presents the gospel simply for our kids and adults. It can be used to summarize the whole Bible, and it gives a picture of the ongoing work that God does in our life through Jesus. Here's the simple reason we use the three circles. Several months ago, a mom of a little kid walked up to me after a worship service in which we did not present this. And you know how kids doodle on paper during the service? You guys doodle on paper, too, during the service. But uh, kids doodle. She brought a piece of paper up to me, and it was the three circles model that her little kid had drawn out on a piece of paper during the service from memory, from what we had talked about in the past, and she said, I wanted you to have this, and I said, okay, we're committed to this. This is something that we're, we're going to use going forward. Okay, so we want you to know that three circles model. There's another three circles model we want you to know as well. It's the three circles model of our focus as a church. Now, you're going to have trouble reading this small print far away. It'll be in the, in the transcript. It's our up, in, out model. Um, this idea that we look up toward God in worship, we look in in discipleship as he shapes us into the image of Christ, and then we go out in missions empowered by the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel. So up, in, out. Once again, we use this because it works well with kids, but it also works really well with adults, that we understand how God works in, in our lives. When we talk about going out, we're talking about our neighbors and the nations, neighbors and nations, that we go out and we share the gospel in those ways. Now, these are basic concepts that we try to use repeatedly across the generations of our church, not because we want to be cute with words or we think words themselves are special, but here's the key. We believe shared language creates culture. Why do we talk about proclaim and display Jesus? Why do we talk about up, in, and out? Why do we talk about the three circles? Because as we share these statements, they will help us make disciples and grow stronger as a church family. If people spend time around Emmaus, we want to share language about who we are and what we're doing. So, how are we doing in these areas and what we can, can we do to improve? First, looking up. Let's start with looking up. First off, 
we know worship is more than what happens on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. You slip up, the pastor slips up, but we realize that worship doesn't equal just the songs that David leads on Sunday morning. Now, we say that sometimes. We're going to go into worship. We're going to, you know, we, we say that. We understand it's more than that. We want Sunday morning to be an overflow of what is happening in our lives throughout the week. We don't want to show up on Sunday morning and have to fake it. Sunday morning worship gathering should be an overflow of the worship that we've done throughout the week, praying and praising God. At the same time, when the week has been difficult and when we've wandered away from the Lord, um, the worship gathering is a powerful way to pull our attention and affections back toward God. And both of those are key. We focus our attention back to the Lord, and when our hearts grow cold and dry, gathering with God's people to worship can warm us up in a way that nothing else can. And so the worship gathering, when we've wandered away, puts our focus back on the Lord, and it warms our hearts toward the Lord. It should do both of those at the same time. For prayer, we not only want to be intentional about more corporate prayer, and, and that falls to, to me doing a better job with that, we want prayer to fill our homes throughout the week and the hallways of our building on Sunday mornings. A strategic way we pursue prayer as a church is through the prayer room ministry and the home-based prayer ministry that Matt Whitmill operates via email. I just say it again. If, if you're not part of the prayer room ministry or if you're not connected into that home-based prayer email ministry, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, not because... We're nosy and want to know what's going on. It's because we're drawn together as a church to pray and to encourage one another. And when you receive a prayer gram and you know someone prayed for you and wrote that out, and that makes, means everything at, at those times. And so encourage you, if you're not part of that, to, to jump in. We'd love to help you do that. For music, we're reminded of the power of music not only to focus us on God, but also to connect and unify us as a church. Now, when it comes to music, we continually choose to set aside preferences and simply sing with passion and authenticity to our God and to one another. As we think about music leadership uh, at Emmaus, it may look like we are going for a world record for world's longest musical leadership interim. In fact, we've probably already broken that record at this point, so it's, it's all ours at this point. Um, i just say this, I don't have any major updates in that area other than to point you back to what I said last year and the year before in the state of the church. And you're like, well, what did you say last year and the year before? I'll include that attachment in the email tomorrow and, and you can look at it. I want to let you know our pastors, and when I say pastors, I'm talking about myself, Jim, and Jaron. When we gather together for pastor prayer and pastor meetings, we are praying and discussing this, seeking God's direction for our church, but in the middle of that discussion, we are so thankful uh, for the gift of David's leadership, talent, humility, spiritual maturity. Just thank the Lord uh, for, for that man and, and what, he, what he does for, for Emmaus. Uh, for preaching, we are committing ourselves to the book of Matthew for the next year. I hope the process of working carefully and purposely through a book will be good for our church and will help us grow in Bible study and discipleship. During 2018, and, and some folks have respectfully, uh, but with good reason, asked me this. During 2018, I preached 43 out of 52 Sunday mornings. And my goal is to stay in that 80% range. Uh, because it's good 
for our church to hear from a variety of voices, and we want to do a good job raising up other preachers. I'll continue to preach a series on Wednesday nights in the early fall and early spring, and then we'll use other weeks to raise up more preachers and, and to utilize guests. I have a lot of room to grow as a preacher. That's your chance to say amen, but that's okay. Uh, I have a lot of room to grow as a preacher, and, and Lord knows I know that every week. But I work hard every week. I want you to know I work hard every week to improve for the glory of God and for the good of our church. Okay, let's look in. So that's up. Let's look in. When it comes to in, our staff had an important discussion a few weeks ago. In one of our weekly staff meetings, we were analyzing how well our church connected with guests and how we could best assimilate people into the life of our church. Uh, you probably know this language for church, but you talk about the front door, the side door, the back door, and the slam door. Um, so when we sit around as a, as a staff and we think about how well our church is doing, we're thinking about the front door. Who's coming in the front door? We're thinking about the side door. That's when somebody comes to Fall Fest and says, man, I really felt comfortable there. Like that, I could, I could connect. So it's not a Sunday morning opportunity. They come in the side door. Back door is when they showed up and said, eh, not for me. And they went, they went out the back door. Slam door is, well, you know. Uh, you know what that is. Um, so when we think about those things as a church, the answer to the, all those things is very simple, but it's very important. The answer is relationships. People might attend a church for any number of reasons, but they always stay because of relationships. If a person joins a group, and this comes out of LifeWay Southern Baptist Research. This is unbelievable research. If a person joins a small group or Sunday school class, there's over an 80% chance they'll still be in church after five years. If they don't join a group, that percentage falls to under 15%. So how can we address this issue of relationships and helping people connect? First, we need to see groups, especially Sunday school, as a starting point, not an end game. In other words, the main purpose is not to have someone attend a Sunday school class. The hope is that by attending a class or group, the person will build relationships and spiritual practices that extend beyond Sunday morning. Second, we've discovered over and over that people feel connected at church when they serve. Craig Rochelle, uh, who's the pastor at Life Church, says this well when he says, People want to be known and needed. People want to be known and needed. And the earlier they serve in their time at a church, the more likely they'll feel invested and the more people they'll get to know. This is one downside to having only one worship service and one Sunday school hour. There are less opportunities for people to serve, and therefore it's more likely that someone could just sit and watch instead of participate in some way. How can you help with this? Since we're on a roll with pithy phrases, uh, let me give you another one we're going to start using at Emmaus. Invite, include, invest, inspire. Invite, include, invest, inspire. Invite someone to serve with you. Include them in what you're doing. Invest in their life in meaningful ways and inspire them to do the same for others. Invite, include, invest, inspire. So this means if you have a place to serve at Emmaus, make it your goal in 2019 to replace yourself. If you know how to do something, teach someone else. If you stand in a particular place, find someone to stand with you. And no, we can't make an announcement from stage about this. Stage announcements have limited value. Uh, 
just to be honest, when we make announcements from the stage, we feel like Charlie Brown's teacher, and I know we sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to you. Uh, so we, we understand that. What's effective, what makes a difference is when one person says to another, hey, would you do this with me? Would you do this with me? Here's one more thing about in. As we think about helping people connect at Emmaus, one downside to our worship center is the number of seats versus the number of people attending. It's possible for a guest to visit and sit five or six seats from the nearest person. My challenge for you is to become the caregiver for your area of the worship center. In fact, we're in the process of appointing key leaders to oversee various sections of the seating. We need you to make it impossible for someone to visit and not be cared for or connected. As Baptists, we're creatures of habit. Most of you sit in the same seats each week, especially those of you that sit in the stadium seating. <laughs> so instead of seeing that as a bad thing, we're asking you to make the most of it. If someone is a guest and you get their name, text it immediately to one of the staff. Because if you try to remember until after the service, you're not going to remember. Uh, but if you get their name and they're a guest, text it to a staff member. If you don't see a regular attender for a few weeks in your area, reach out to that person. They might be feeling radical and decide to sit in another area, or they might have had something happen and you're the person God has positioned to keep them from falling through the cracks. Take ownership of your area, help people connect, and keep the staff in the loop. All right, let's talk about looking out. What about looking out, sharing the gospel with our neighborhoods and our neighbors in all nations? The previous discussion about connecting with guests impacts this topic because we always need more people to look out on Sunday morning. Most people walk toward the building and go inside, but to care for guests, our church needs a lot of people who arrive early to stand outside and look toward the parking lot or to stand inside the building and look out toward the entry doors. Here's a phrase that I want you to listen to closely. A church with people looking outward on Sunday morning will usually be a church that looks outward throughout the week. A church with people who look outward on Sunday morning, so where the entry doors in the parking lot, will be a church that looks outward during the week. I thank God for our welcome lead team, and we're trying to get better all the time at this. Here's the deal, though. If you're a member of Emmaus, you're a member of the welcome team. Um, so we'll get you a badge if you want one, but uh, you're part of the welcome team. Okay, back in August, we took a survey to better understand our church. Of Emmaus members over the age of 18, here's some research that came in from, from that survey. 76% of Emmaus members have been a Christian more than 20 years. 22% reported being a Christian for 5 to 10 years, 5 to 20 years, and 2% have been a Christian less than 5 years. Of these members, 83% were baptized at another church and transferred to Emmaus, so 17% of our members were baptized at Emmaus. Those numbers mean we have to recommit to being a church that reaches out to those far from God. How do we get better at this? Well, we have to first remember that out is not disconnected from up and in. When we worship God passionately, when he changes our hearts on the inside and breaks us for the lost and for the darkness around us, out will happen. So up, in, and out. We don't get to choose one of those three. They're, they're connected. We also have two guys on staff who are leading the way to help us focus on out. Uh, Carl Dean re recently started working with our staff part-time to care for older adults and also to help us think intentionally about evangelism. 
And I just want to say I truly believe God will use Carl as a catalyst for our church to make evangelism a core part of who we are. In addition to Carl's help, Jim is working on multiple projects to keep our church focused out toward our neighborhoods and the nations. These projects, according to Jim, may require us to go to some hard places, may require us to make some big sacrifices, but there's anything we should be excited about as a church is making big sacrifices to go to hard places in order to share the good news of Jesus. In addition to what we mentioned above, what can you do right now to live out? First, don't miss the impact of hospitality and the value of making evangelism a part of what you're already doing. Uh, One thing Carl has mentioned to me a couple of times is that we don't need a bunch of additional programs for evangelism. We primarily need to make evangelism part of everything that we do. Um, You don't have time to add a lot of extra events to your personal schedule, but we can all learn to make the most of where we live, learn, work, and play. And that's another shared Emmaus phrase that we use over and over again. Live, learn, work, play. Every area of our life, we're able to live out evangelism. Second, if possible, try to participate in a local or global mission trip or some sort of ministry project in our area. There's something about participating in a trip or project that helps us see the rest of life in a new light. And if you need an idea, go find Jim. <laughs> He'll, he's got plenty of ideas about what this looks like. Um, okay, let's look ahead in the couple of minutes that we have left. So tomorrow, Emmaus Baptist Church turns 32 years old. Uh, what are some plans for the future? What's coming next? I want to give three comments uh, about facility plans, then a couple of closing themes as we, as we wrap up. First, early next year, the front wall will come off the old library space in the worship center lobby, so we can use that space for a missions mobilization and resource center. Some of the best features of the library will still be available in there, and at the same time, that will be the place where we showcase and come together to think about missions and and ministry and how we do that as Emmaus. At the same time, we're going to update the coffee bar on the other side uh, of the lobby to help people connect with our church through groups and service opportunities. So you walk into the coffee bar, and it will have up, in, out, and help people connect in those areas. You go to where the library is now, and it will be our missions mobilization and, and resource center on that side. You walk into our lobby, and it feels like everything tilts to the left. Nobody walks to the right unless your Sunday school class happens to be that way. So we're trying to even that out a little bit and and make better use of our space. In the process, we're hoping to update the entire lobby a little bit to better connect with guests, especially younger guests. Uh, Second, we're working on some outside plans specifically for the area between the two main buildings and on the west property. Uh, For the area between the two buildings, not only will we consider a way to protect against the rain, but the goal is for this space to become a core meeting place for fellowship and interaction and fun. Uh, For the back west property, the time frame may be a little bit longer, but we still hope to develop a nice pavilion for groups and family reunions, along with kids' sports fields and possibly a walking trail or some other places for for fellowship um, uh, and fun back there. This is proven to be a big project, but development of that West property could be a huge door to ministry to our neighborhoods and, and community. So we're really trying to think big picture about that. Third, when it comes to facilities, let me address really quickly the possibility of new buildings. Selfishly, I'd love to add yesterday uh, a new building for kids and preschool and family. Uh, and we want to position ourselves for that at some point. But right now, our main goal is to optimize the facilities we have 
because honestly we have a lot of square footage in relation to the number of people attending. As we work on our outside projects, we're keeping in mind the long-term development of buildings so as not to cut ourselves off from future growth or building. Uh, be patient with us. Know we're working on ideas because when the time is right, we want to be ready to act. I want to end tonight with two key words for any church, but especially for Emmaus in 2019. These words are flexibility and multiply. These themes should be front and center for any church looking to the future. The number one rule for any mission trip is flexibility. The same applies for local church life because we're on a mission trip together right here where God has placed us. We won't be flexible about the gospel. And we won't be flexible about our overall mission. And we won't be flexible about the need for the Holy Spirit's power. But we will be flexible about almost everything else. Especially for some of the local and global initiatives that Jim is pursuing, we need to be ready as a church to move when those opportunities open. And we'll need to be flexible about how we do ministry, when we meet, excuse me, how often we meet, where we meet. If you like Emmaus simply because of the schedule or style or programs, I can't necessarily promise you those will always stay the same. But if you're part of the church family because you want to make an impact for God's glory and God's kingdom, we're going to pursue that together with everything that we have. The second key word is multiply. This is a good word for 2019 because we're a key partner church with Multiply Church in Calgary, Canada that launched a couple of years ago. At Emmaus, we need to think constantly about what it means to multiply. If we're going to focus out, we won't try to protect our comforts or our groups or our resources. We'll try to multiply what we have so we can reach more people with the gospel. This means we may multiply, hear me clearly, I'm not saying we will immediately, but hear me out. We may multiply the number of worship services even before seeing capacity demands a change. I, I heard a quote this last week that unchurched people don't care about your seating capacity, they care about your schedule. <laughs> Do you meet at a time that they can be there? They don't care how many seats are in the building. This means we may need to send out some of our best people and best resources to other locations to multiply the church. This means especially we need every group, every Sunday school class to think about multiplying into additional groups, not just on Sunday morning, and that included, but also in creative out-of-the-box ways. Nobody wants to have their group split up arbitrarily. That rarely goes well, and we don't want to do that, nor do we intend to do that, frankly, nor will we do that. Instead, we want to create a culture in which groups themselves are constantly thinking how they can plant new groups, how they can reach more people and multiply their impact. So my goal is not how do I keep my group together, but how does our group make the most impact for, for the kingdom of God? Multiplication means we need to raise up more leaders, and this begins with ingraining service and leadership into our kids and students. Multiplication means I'm not just concerned about my family, I'm concerned about my neighborhood. And I'm not just concerned about our church, I'm concerned about our cities. And I'm not just concerned about our country, I'm concerned about every tribe, ton, people, and nation coming to know and worship our great God. So we will lay down our preferences, we will lay down our pride, and we will give ourselves away to make disciples of all nations. We will do this with prayer and fasting, with worship and sacrifice, with joy and hope. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in the Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I love you, Emmaus. I'm so thankful for you and your investment and my family for the partnership and the gospel that we have together. I want to pray for us and we'll be dismissed tonight. God, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your kindness and mercy and patience and faithfulness. God, thank you for the gift of a church family. God, thank you for a church that is so interconnected with its community and with other churches in the area. God, thank you for the love that we have for one another. Continue to guide us in the days ahead. God, I pray for the humility and the love and the brokenness for people around us. God, that will drive us ahead. And God, remind us that we cannot accomplish anything. We should not try to accomplish anything apart from the power of your Holy Spirit. That when we abide in Christ, then we're able to bear much fruit. God, I pray that that would be true of Emmaus. God, thank you again for Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.